You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. moments in life when we take up and we worship all kinds of things. We can worship people. We can worship poorly. We can worship wrongly. Jesus says to us, worship in spirit. Worship in truth. Come to me. I'll fill you. I'll satisfy your thirsts. Your hearts are restless in me. We will find rest. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Bob. I'd like to ask you to start out with, how many of you enjoy stepping into water? Just uh, getting into a pool or uh, swimming? Yeah, yeah, most of you do that. Especially on a really hot day when, and uh, especially when the water is clear. At least that's kind of uh, important to me. The last time that I actually stepped into water was a year ago. <laughs> Other than showering, of course, I want you to know that, was in Europe at a beach. And in this beach that uh, my wife drug me into, uh, <laughs> there was all kinds of paraphernalia floating. I mean, band-aids, and, well, I'll spare you the details. It was grotesque. And it reminded me of the contrast of water. The water can be like a cesspool. Uh, water can be like the James River. I would never want to swim in it. Any of you swum in the James River before? Uh, a few of you, yes. God bless you. And you survived. <laughs> but we live in a cesspool in our culture. It's very marshy, that's very toxic, that's, that's very dirty. And the scripture talks about two different kinds of water that that can flow inside each one of us. And we're going to get to the good one. But first, I got to just give a a word and a name to the cesspool of of bitterness or or ridicule or accusatory spirit or anger or malice or, or the things that we can so easily tap into. And I think what we are drowning in as a culture. This past week, I I had some accusatory words spoken to me or about me, and it did something to my spirit. And the last couple of days, I was really wrestling with this. In my time with God, God was gracious enough to point this out. And, And what was going on in my spirit was, that somehow that accusatory spirit caught hold of me and I was going over and over in my mind, giving people what for. (laughs) Ever been there? I mean, you've got the speeches down and you're just kind of letting people have it. Very accusatory spirit was living inside of me. 
And uh, so what do you do with that when you're tapping into that kind of a cesspool, when you're drowning in that kind of a culture, whether it's in your home or your workplace or what other relationships you might have? Maybe you live with accusatory spirit. Maybe there's an accusatory spirit inside of you. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. And you're, you're free to do this or not, but, and this is all I'm going to ask you to do, so don't worry, there's nothing else coming. <laughs> but if you are someone in the past week that's had a, an accusatory spirit or something spoken to you or about you, or if you have been the perpetrator of that, you've had an accusatory spirit and you've spoken words of accusation and, and ridicule or denigration to somebody else, or you've been at least doing it inside your mind, I invite you to stand simply where you are. So this is real. This, this goes on. And all I'm going to do is simply pray. God, thank you for the courage of those who are standing. And thank you that your spirit draws us out of such water, out of such uh, bitter roots. And I pray that you would put some salve on the wounds of those who suffered this week from accusation. I pray that you would help those of us who've been perpetrators of accusatory spirit, to recognize that something is deeper at play here than ourselves. And that we would step away and step out of that cesspool and be free of it and to renounce it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, you may have a seat. So that's an example, friends, of how we can willingly choose not to go there. Willingly choose when we get caught up in whatever kind of cesspool or derogatory uh, water that we're swimming in or drowning in, that we can choose to step out of that. But you and I know that we need something else to step into. You and I know that as Jesus said in, in another place, that when you empty the house of demons, you better fill it with some other kind of spirit because somehow the demons just start coming back inside. And in the same way, you and I need a life-giving spirit. We need a stream to step into. And the amazing, wonderful thing about the metaphor that's so rich in scripture is that God is like a clear, crystal, fresh, flowing, crystal, clean water. Jason alluded to it in Psalm 46 earlier. You find it in the creation story in Genesis where the river is flowing out of Eden, out of this paradise. It actually goes into four different branches. You find it in Revelation. In the beautiful image of the new heaven and the new earth where God is on his throne. And what flows from the throne but a river of life clears crystal. And along that river flowing along, <laughs> there are the trees on the riverbanks and the healing 
that occurs is for the healing of the nations through those trees. You find this in Ezekiel, in a passage we're going to look at in just a moment, where there's a life-giving stream that flows from the temple of God. And again, the imagery that the leaves on the trees never turn brown, for the leaves are for the healing of the nations, and there's fruit-bearing fruit. And everything that's living and swimming in this water is life-giving. My favorite reference of all is the words of Jesus, where he says in John chapter 7, if anyone's thirsty, if you're really thirsty, come and drink of me, and I will give you living water. And he says, out of the believer's heart is going to flow rivers of living water out of our own spirit. In our own hearts, friends, we can tap into the cesspool of the culture and the spirit that's denigrating inside of us, or we can go to the river of life, the Holy Spirit, and step into this mighty stream that's life-giving, which is the presence of God himself. So let's look together at this passage in Ezekiel. Before we go there, just a few things you need to know about Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a young priest. He's a prophet. He's a prophet in a time that's very difficult in the nation of Israel. It's a catastrophic time. You know, you and I are living in a volatile time. It seems like every time we gather for worship, something's happened the previous week. Violence or senselessness or terrorism that catches our eye like Halloween in New York City. Well, it was a catastrophic time in in Ezekiel's life. And so he gets these visions and these prophecies. And tragically, he gets this vision of how the the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord just lifted from the temple and left. And Ezekiel was a part of the people that are in exile. You ever been in a time in your life where you just felt like the presence of God left you? The glory of God... was gone? Ever been a part of a church or a family of worship where you felt like the spirit was there, but it it left? That was Israel's story. And that's the story of some some of us that has made a pilgrimage through various church cultures. And when the spirit leaves and the glory and the presence of God is gone, it's awful. But the spirit returns. In Ezekiel 43, you find that there's a mighty river of water that's flowing once again in this restored, reconstructed temple. And we pick up the story where Ezekiel has been given this vision. In my vision, Ezekiel says, The man, who's the man? The man is a mystical spiritual guide, a mystical messenger. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing the right of the altar at its south side. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then he led me across And the water was up to my ankles. 
He measured off another 1,750 feet, and he led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the water was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but was too deep to walk through. And then he asked, have you been watching, son of man? Isn't that a curious question? So his spiritual guide, his mystical messenger, as he's been leading Ezekiel into this water, this water that keeps getting deeper as he goes into it, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, over his head. He says, have you been watching Ezekiel? And he turns Ezekiel around and he wants to show him along the river. Because sometimes, friends, we miss it. We don't see everything that God wants us to see. And this is when Ezekiel's eyes are really opened. And then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised. I was surprised by the sight of the many trees, the many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east to the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea, flows through the desert, flows through the dry land, flows through the dry places of our life into the Dead Sea, into the place of deadness, flows into the marshy, salty deadness of life. The water of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea all the way from Engedi to Anglicum. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun, fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and the swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month. For they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for the food, and the leaves for healing. Three times in this text that we've read, Ezekiel is reminded that everything about this water is life-giving. Everything flowing in the river is teeming with life. Everything that's planted along the river is productive because the source of where it comes from, it comes from the temple of God. It comes from the presence of God. It is God. This river of life is the presence and the power of God himself. 
So I want to ask you to ask yourself this morning, where are you in relationship to this river? When you think about Ezekiel and the image of Ezekiel, he's walking deeper, ankle deep. Are you ankle deep? Or have you stepped into the water at all? To step into the river of life, we have to step out of the cesspool. We have to recognize those times and those places where our spirits are out of whack. And we confess that and we let go of that and we renounce that. But we conscientiously have to choose to step into the river and the presence and seek the glory of who God is. And ankle deep is progress. We're in the river. But we can't stay there. And Ezekiel reminds us that in ankle deep faith, it's still marshy. It's still salty. It's still yucky. Who would ever want to stay in ankle deep faith? Stepping forward into knee-deep faith. I think many people want to do that. And I think one of the ways in which we do that is we begin to take responsibility for our spiritual practices and our spiritual disciplines. And you're going to hear more about that next week. Jeff Fugit has put together what's a resource called Disciples Toolkit, which is a resource that helps people to take the responsibility to step into the river and go into the faith in learning how to have times of devotion, in learning how to do personal Bible study, in learning how to pray, in learning how to journal, in learning how to have your time of worship with God. I want to encourage you that if you've never gone knee deep, if that's the next step for you, to make a conscientious step forward in doing that. But friends, there's a lot of us, I think, that get stuck there. We just kind of stay there. We stay in this knee-deep faith. And the sand gives out from underneath our feet, and we just kind of get stuck there spiritually. And we do what J.D. Walt describes is that we exchange our devotion for Christ to just doing devotions. And we go through motions. We go through the right motions. But we're not connected to the movement of the Spirit. One of the things that I think... Uh, bogs us down, if I may be so bold, is that we get dependent upon other people's thoughts and words. Whether it's someone that's classical as Old Wall Chambers or whether it's someone contemporary like Richard Rohr or it's someone who writes about Jesus calling and you read the words that God spoke directly to these individuals, whoever it is. I was talking to someone the other day, they did three different devotions every day. Do you think that maybe God has a word for you? 
directly, that God can speak directly to you. I enjoyed Pastor Jason's book of Romans and I followed it daily. Right now, I'm enjoying going cold turkey. And this is what I feel like the Spirit is saying to me. I'm not saying this is for you. I just take my Bible and my notepad and I go to my room and I'm saying, God, here I am. And friends, we live in different seasons and times. Your circumstances may be different from mine. You may not have the time I have. But somewhere along the way, we have to find that time. Maybe it's in the car going to work. Maybe it's carving out 15 or 20 minutes during a lunch hour. Maybe it's getting up earlier or getting disconnected from social media. But it's getting away from all the artificial support and means and believing that God can have a fresh word for us, that we step into fresh water, living water, not something that's stale, not yesterday's manna, not yesterday's food, but today's. In Northern California, there's, in the wine country, there's a wonderful story that Alan Fadling talks about where he says he visited this one vineyard farmer and he says that in the vineyard, they went away from artificial irrigation to dry farming. Now, what did he mean by that? In the vineyard, they were dependent upon artificial irrigation, water that would be piped in from other sources, maybe hundreds of miles. But what they found was that what was being produced was kind of like a small onion-sized root ball and so he learned from the French and the French know something about wine to go to dry farming what's dry farming but it's allowing the vineyard to be completely dependent upon the natural water right there in its environment and to go deeper in the ground in the soil And he said, once they did that, guess what happened? Their yields went down 45%. But after a couple years, they produced a higher quality of fruit than they've ever known. I think it's time, church. I think it's time. Those of us who've been standing too long in knee-deep faith and become too dependent upon artificial irrigation from other people and other minds and other spirits, not that we don't still hear those other voices, but when we step deeper into waist-deep faith, nothing really satisfies than hearing a fresh word from God. How do we do that? How do we seek that out? You know, one of the ways that we can do this is through worship, daily worship. And I know I'm not above going to places where the river seems to be flowing. A couple of months ago, Pastor Jake and I, Jake Hotchkiss and I went to New Franklin, Tennessee for the New Room Conference. And in the New Room Conference, it's, it's a movement within our Methodist family. There's not celebrities there, which I, I love, because celebrities, friends, that's part of that artificial 
irrigation stuff. We get so caught up in this person. There were no celebrities. There was good teaching. There was good music. But more than anything, there was worship. We just stepped into a river where hundreds of people were seeking God, the presence of God. And people were real and authentic. And I remember one woman talking about she, she was a Hindu and she was converted to the Christian faith and how that she suffered ridicule from her family and she had difficulty living with that. And there was another woman that's a single pastor in her 40s and she talked about the difficulty and the struggle of being single. There was that kind of authenticity going on. But more than anything, we were stepping into the river of the presence of God. And when I was there, I felt like it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I lived with that kind of force. And it's not that I'm going to live off that experience two months ago. But that experience makes me want more. And the thirstier I get, the more I drink of the living water. And the thirstier I get still. Worship. We asked several people recently, what's worship like for them in this congregation? And one person I talked to was Christy Brown. And Christy worships in this service, and I just want to share her words of what worship is like for her. She says, my body follows outwardly in response with hands lifted, with knees bowed, with voice raised, sometimes tears and claps of joy. Such physical responses not only bring release in one's inner life, but are the evidence of God's deeper work to those alongside us in corporate worship. If we limit our worship of God to the context of our own minds, we may miss the experience of the deep calling to deep among us. But if we demonstrate and follow one another's lead in expressing outwardly the inward work of our hearts, he will work powerfully in us as a body, transforming us not only as individuals, but corporately as his bride, the church. The Welch Revival was one of those powerful revival movements, 19th, 20th century. And they said two things got it started. One was prayer. But the second was in the midst of a meeting one night, they asked for someone to give a testimony of the witness that God was doing in their life. And this teenage girl who was scared to death with a shaky voice got up and all she said was this, I love Jesus with all my heart. And when that little young lady said those words it was like the dam broke and the mighty river 
of life flowed. So this morning as we are in the midst of engaging worship, I ask you, where are you? Are you uh, ankle deep? Knee deep? Waist deep? Or are you just fine to dive in all the way? Where are you in relationship to the river? Where are we as a church? Where are we as individuals? You know, Ezekiel had a spiritual guide. We're developing spiritual guides. Maybe that's something you want. A human spiritual guide that will walk alongside you and meet up with you. If you're interested, talk to me. Maybe it's time for you to develop your own spiritual practices and learn to feed your spirit. Toolkit may be just what's for you. For many of us who've been around the church for a long time, maybe what God is really saying to us, go dry. Go dry of the artificial irrigation and tap into the wellspring of the Holy Spirit that resonates deep within your heart.